0: Man, would you just lift your hands and welcome the presence of the Lord one more time into this house? Hallelujah. There's a sweet anointing in this place today. Would you lift your voice unto Jesus? Hallelujah. Oh, that's it. That's it. Just entertain the presence of the Lord, for he is in this place today. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I love what I feel in Lake City this morning, and it is a wonderful honor to be with each and every one of you. I give honor uh, to Elder and Sister Anderson, great people, the great founding pastors of this church, amen. When others would not go, they had a vision and they had a dream, and that's why this great beacon of salvation is in Lake City today, so I honor them today. Amen. We honor Brother and Sister McCall. Pastor and Sister McCall have been tremendous friends to our family. And uh, if I was going to uh, think of somebody that I would consider loyal, faithful, and true, it would be the McCall family. And you are blessed to have them as your pastor. I believe we ought to give honor to whom honor is due this morning. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. We are in a transition. God has recently transitioned us from pastoring the church in New Orleans. And uh, I will now begin uh, to enter into full time ministry. And God has uh, a new anointing upon me this morning. And uh, I believe that we are here in the timing of God. A couple of days ago, the Lord in prayer came to me in a vision for this church. And so today I will preach not from a sermon, but I will preach from a vision that the Lord has given to me for this church at this point as you are entering into a transitional time in your church. We find that Habakkuk said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it shall speak. Everybody say, it shall speak. And not lie, though it tarry. Wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. We have a responsibility to the prophetic, ladies and gentlemen. Just because something is prophesied does not necessarily mean that it is going to happen. But in fact, prophecy... The prophesied word of the Lord is the potential of what God wants to do in a church and in a life. And so when something is prophesied, it is God's potential in your church. It is God's potential in your life, but we have a responsibility to the prophetic. This is why he says, if my people who are called by my name will do these things, then will I hear from heaven. When God brings a prophetic word and when He brings a promise to the church, there are some stipulations, and that stipulation always involves obedience. And so we are to make the prophecy happen today. Amen. We're in a prophetic time in the kingdom of God, and there is great prophecy that I believe is upon this church. And with that in mind today, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9 today to all of the saints of the Most High God. I give you honor today. Amen. It is because of your going and giving and witnessing and your faithfulness that there is a great church that is continuing to rise up in the city of Lake City today. And I used to run the UPS route here in Lake City for a few years. And I remember I would stop and talk to Brother Anderson. Uh, As he was working in his yard, some tremendous memories. And I would always pray when I drove past the church when it was uh, a few blocks over. And then when you transitioned over here. And so I've watched with great joy to see what God has done over the last several years here in this church. Amen. And God is going to continue to send great revival. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16 and 8 and says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. I'm going to speak to you this morning about adversaries and the open door. I wonder if you could lay your Bible down just on the seat behind you and lift your hands, accompany it with a lifted up voice, Just ask the Lord to minister in this house today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that Your Word would minister. Let there be a divine flow of Your Spirit, God, that sweeps through this house today. Lord, let the gifts of Your Spirit be in operation in this place this morning. Move and minister in a mighty way today. Let Your Word be as a prophetic seed that is planted, that bears forth fruit in due season. We receive it today in the name of Jesus. Why don't you give God a great hand clap of praise? Amen. He is worthy. Amen. Is there a hallelujah in the house today? Hallelujah, Lord. You're a mighty God. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the word of the Lord. You can be seated this morning. Adversaries and the open door. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church from the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is an incredibly strange place. Ephesus has many similarities to the city that we live in, New Orleans. It is a very spiritual city. The first mention of Ephesus that we find is Paul passing through the upper coast of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. He said unto those who were there, He said, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They responded to Paul and said, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And then Paul, the Bible lets us know, laid his hands upon them. The Holy Ghost came upon them and they spake with tongues. And they prophesied. It was the beginning of a great revival that began to take place in the city of Ephesus. We've got to understand today that all great revivals begin with a moment. All great revivals begin with a pivotal moment. Sometimes, if we are not focused in and tuned in to the voice of the Lord and the leading of the Spirit, we can miss that moment, that pivotal moment. The Jews missed that moment, for He came unto His own, John said, and His own received Him not. It is very important for us that we be able to discern a God-ordained moment, even when that moment does not come exactly in a way that we would think that it ought to come. Sometimes that moment is not a king riding in victoriously on a white horse to conquer But sometimes it comes disguised as a babe in a manger. And so we must be very careful to discern the pivotal moments of life. Paul later says concerning this revival that began at Ephesus, that from the school of this one man, Tyrannus, that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord preached. He's writing from Ephesus to the church at Corinth in our text today. And he says, I am going to tarry here at Ephesus until Pentecost. It was in Ephesus that Paul had experienced a breakthrough of sorts in his concepts that had allowed him to expand his ministry outside of the Jewish people. For he was a Jew. He was one of the most highly trained Jewish leaders of the day before he came to Christ, but it was at Ephesus that God had expanded his ministry to the Gentiles. He had argued with theologians, he had engaged with the philosophers there, but it was at Ephesus that he determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he said concerning his ministry at Ephesus that he made the decision there, That his speech and his preaching would not be with enticing words of man's wisdom. But it would be in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm glad that Paul made that discovery at Ephesus. For it is because of the preached word of God that the door is open to a Gentile church in this last day. Now Paul had this love for a church at Corinth that I don't quite understand even up into the last century and probably not as much today, to be known as a Corinthian would be to know, be known as a person of ill repute. And There was so much sin in that Corinthian church, there was even instance recorded of a young man sleeping with his own mother. Yet despite the sin and the degradation and the debauchery of this Corinthian church, Paul displays such a love for them. He writes to them from Ephesus and he says, I really have a true desire to be with you. It is my desire to come, but I am staying at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because I recognize that the timing is right for me to be here at Ephesus because there is an open and an effectual door there in, here in Ephesus. But he said there are many adversaries. Ephesus was a city that was given to what is called Curious Arts. It was given to witchcraft. It was a very, very spiritual city. They were open to a diverse array of spiritual activity. There was a temple there that was erected in worship to the goddess Diana. It was a city that had given itself over to idolatry. It was a city that was completely engulfed and immersed in evil practices. The Colosseum was there, and Paul makes reference in another place. And he says, I have fought the beast at Ephesus. Some feel that he was speaking spiritually here, but others feel that they literally placed him in the arena as a gladiator to wrestle with the beast at Ephesus. And so when Paul writes in our text today from Ephesus to the Corinthian church, that there are many adversaries. He is writing from firsthand experience. He is letting us know that there is incredibly strong opposition at Ephesus. He is telling us that there is tremendous adversity at Ephesus. But he also made the statement that despite the opposition in the Spirit, I'm staying here at Ephesus because I realize... That despite the shadows of the giants that I'm fighting, that there is an open door here. And there is an effectual door here. It was an open and an effectual door, it says. We often misquote that scripture. And we say that there is an open door and there are many adversaries. And we place emphasis on the adversary and the adversity that comes with an open door. But Paul didn't just call it an open door. Paul said that this is an open door and an effectual door. This word effectual is defined best as energy. It was a door that if you will walk through that door, Paul, there is a supernatural energy there. It is an energized doorway he's saying that there is a door and it's an open door and when you get to that door you will be met by the supernatural provision of God amen and so there is a supernatural energy at that door but there are also many adversaries I want to talk about these adversaries for a moment today is everybody all right? we're going somewhere today the Holy Ghost is going to minister in this house in a mighty way Before we leave here this morning, I want to talk about these adversaries for just a moment. When we jump over to 1 Peter, we come across this curious statement that Peter declares talking about things that the angels desire to look into. Which things, plural, the angels desire to look into. We understand, and we often hear preached and taught that it is speaking of salvation. We understand that this is true, but this is one of the things that the angels are desiring to look into. But more than that, when we examine the context of this scripture, of what Peter is talking about, he's not just talking about prophesied salvation, but in fact, the subject is all prophecy from God. Not only that of salvation. And so it is telling us, That the angels desire to look into that which was prophesied. The angels desire to become students of things that are prophesied. So we must understand today that when it talks about angels, that there are different types of angels that are active in the world today. There are what the book of Hebrews tells us are angels that are sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. And when we read this scripture that the angels desire to look into this prophesied thing, we think automatically of good angels. Angels operate for us according to the will of God in several different functions. There are warrior angels. We understand that there are ministering spirits or ministry angels. There are messenger angels that we see evidence of all throughout the scriptural, and there are angels who are guardians that are positioned in certain places by God. But the text here is not simply speaking of God's submitted angels. But what it is talking about is the entire spirit realm. When there is something that is prophesied, the entire spirit realm, angels and demons all desire to look into, there is an attraction to become a student of that prophecy. The desire of angels and demons, the desire of the entire spirit world is to find out when prophecy that has been placed upon this church is going to happen. Prophecy, we've got to understand, is the entrance of the Word of God into the darkness of a situation. This is why the psalmist said at the entrance of his Word, there is light. If there is one thing that the devil hates more than anything, it's when there is a pastor with a prophetic ministry that will stand in a pulpit and declare the word of God. Because at the entrance of this man's word, according to the Holy Ghost, there is light. That's why the Bible says that it may get dark, but there shall be light in the evening time. There may be a a famine of hearing the word of the Lord, but his minister shall be as a flame of fire, Hebrews said. And when he stands in the pulpit and declares a prophetic word from God, it brings light to a dark situation. It brings light to a city. When a church planter walks into a city and begins to preach the word of God, it is as in the spirit as if God just flipped the light switch on in that city and where there was darkness, they are now seeing a great light. When Adam and Eve fell, they plummeted into spiritual darkness. Their comprehension of the kingdom of God disappeared. Their understanding of the things of God was now separated from them. This is what sin does. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Because Adam and Eve could see everything about The kingdom of God, they were living in a a place of innocence. They were walking in the perfect will of God. Their eyes did not have scales over them. But when they sinned, there was a separation. And now in order to see the things of God, you have got to be born again of the Spirit of God. And so when Adam died that day in the garden, he did not just die in a physical sense, but he died in a spiritual sense. And there was a spiritual blindness that descended upon him. Jesus gives us the parable of the good Samaritan. He said that there was a certain man that fell among thieves who was robbed of his possession, stripped of his garments. And then he says this curious statement that he was left half dead dead. And what Jesus is telling us here is the story of Adam. It was a certain man. He was robbed of the things that God had given him. His covering, his garment was taken from him. This is why God had to kill a lamb to clothe him again in that garden. And Adam was left half dead now he's alive to the things of the flesh but he is dead to the things of the spirit he was half dead and so Jesus says to Nicodemus Nicodemus except you be born again you cannot see the kingdom of God he's saying to Nicodemus I'm not talking about entering again into your mother's womb and being born a second time that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit but you've got to be born Born again, of the Spirit. I'm talking to you, Nicodemus, about what died back there when Adam sinned. Except a man be born again of the Spirit, his eyes cannot be opened and he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me stop and tell you this morning that you can have the Spirit and still not see or hear the deep things of God. You can be spirit filled and still not be a spiritual person. There are spirit-filled people who approach the kingdom with a carnal mind. Just because somebody has been filled with the Holy Ghost one time does not mean that they are doing what Paul instructed them to and living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. But to be spiritual, you must not only be filled with the Spirit, but your life must be governed and led by the Spirit of God. If your life is not governed and led by the Spirit of God, then you are going to approach decisions in your life with a carnal mind. You can have the Holy Ghost and still make a wrong decision if your life is not being governed at every turn by the Spirit of God. And So the Word lets us know that it is impossible to see the kingdom without the Holy Ghost governing every aspect of your life. Adam and Eve are separated from God, and they plummet into spiritual darkness, and God lit a candle. That candle is called prophecy. And every time in the Old Testament that there was prophecy, it was another candle that was being lit in the darkness. They didn't have a preacher. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't even have much more than an oral tradition of history. But God said, there's one thing that I'm going to give you, and that is at the entrance of my word, there shall be light. And so God began to light candles that began to light up the darkness of humanity. And with every prophecy concerning the future, it was another candle that was let, lit. They begin to see shadows that were flickering around the corridors of the future as to what was to come. The first candle of prophecy is found in the judgment of the serpent in Genesis 3.15 when the Lord said I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel he was saying the son of man will recover from a wounded heel but you Satan you are doomed for eternity for your head shall be crushed he may be crucified and spend three days in a borrowed tomb but there is a resurrection coming and And you, Satan, you have no hope for the future. And so it is that with every prophecy, with every messianic prophecy, there was a flickering of more light that was to come. We find in Genesis 3.15 that a candle was lit and they began to see that the prophesied seed would be born of a woman. In Micah 5 and 2 we find that he is born at Bethlehem. In Isaiah 7.14 we see that another candle is lit when Isaiah says he shall be born of a virgin. Genesis 12 and 3 he's of the line of Abraham. In 49 and 10 he's from the tribe of Judah. In Isaiah 9 and 7... Another candle is lit that says he shall be an heir to David's throne. Psalm 69 and 8 tells us that the one that is coming will be rejected by his own people. Isaiah 11 and 1 tells us that he will be called a Nazarene. Isaiah 9 and 1 says that he shall bring light to Galilee. Isaiah 61 says that when he comes, he's going to heal the brokenhearted and he will set the captive free. Zechariah steps up by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost lights a candle and he says he will be the one that is wounded in the house of his friends. The psalmist says in 35 that he will be hated without cause. In 22.16 his hands and feet will be pierced. Two verses later soldiers are prophesied gambling for his garments. Twelve chapters later in Psalm 34 we see that not one Of the bones in his body will be broken, and with every prophecy, the light of the Messiah that is to come begins to pierce the darkness because, at the entrance of his word, there is light. Yet, because of their rejection of him, the Jews today are still blinded, they are seeking and they are searching. For the Messiah, because they chose to step outside the will of God. Operating outside of the will of God is an incredibly dangerous place to be. Operating outside of the will of God is where spiritual blindness sets in. Operating outside of the will of God has affected the Jewish people, not just in history, but also in present and future generations. They cannot see the kingdom. They cannot know or comprehend Jesus the Messiah. All because they chose to operate outside of the will of God. How can a man not see Jesus as the Messiah? You read the pages of your Bible. It is packed with Messianic prophecies. He can't see it because in his heart he is blinded to the things of God. How can a man not see Jesus as his Savior because he savors the things of man and not the things of God? How can a man not see Him, you ask? It's because to be carnally minded is death for the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be so that they that are in the flesh Cannot please God. So the first candle was lit when God said the heel of the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. The Old Testament closes with it being dark shadows of something that is to come. They were shadows of things to come. They could catch glimpses, but they could not see the fulfillment yet. They could not see the entire image. It was as if they were looking through a glass darkly. But when Christ came born of a woman, it was no longer done in the shadows, but now it was the reality. He was the fullness of the light that was to come. Let me get to where we are today. When you and I first come to God, our understanding has been darkened to the things of God. and He finds us. We didn't find Him. He knew where we were. He reaches down and He pulls us out. The first thing that was created in Genesis was light. And every one of those creative days pertains to our spiritual life. On the first day, you were like that earth. You were without form and you were void. And there was darkness upon the face of your life. But then two things happened. First, the Spirit of God moved, and then the Spirit of God spoke. The first thing that has to happen in your creative day is that light has to come. It all comes when somebody sees you in a grocery store and witnesses to you about Jesus and flips a light on in the dark recesses of your heart. That's what happens in a home Bible study. It is the entrance of His Word, and at the entrance of His Word there is light. That was the beginning of your journey. The Word brought light to your spiritual darkness and revealed to you the things of God. Let me get to ground zero today. Churches are like that also. It takes the entrance of the preached Word of God and prophecy into a congregation to bring light. When the elder came into Lake City many years ago, He walked into the darkness where there was no light. And every time he would stand in that pulpit, whether there were three people in the congregation or a hundred people in the congregation, there was a word that was being projected. And that word, the Bible says in Luke 8 and 11, that the seed is the word. It falls on different kinds of ground. But when a pastor stands in the pulpit week after week after week, Pastor McCall, And he preaches that word. What he is doing is he is sowing seed. He is scattering seed into the congregation. He is scattering seed into the vineyard. Hallelujah. Amen. I see in the spirit as it were this morning that there has been much seed that has been scattered onto the ground of this congregation. There has been much seed. I feel a spirit of prophecy upon me right now. There has been much seed that has been scattered Scattered and dispersed in this city and what happens in a church is that when you come into a city there are spiritual strongholds there are meth addiction strongholds in Ephesus there were witchcraft strongholds and through the prayers of a praying church those strongholds that were covering that ground that harvest amen we think we're the lord of the harvest but we're not the lord of the harvest brother McCall that harvest is coming because he's the Lord of the harvest, amen, and the pastor and the preacher and the ministry have been scattering seed and what happens is there's strongholds that lay on top of that seed but when a church begins to break down and tear down strongholds through prayer, then those restrainers of the harvest come up and when harvest season comes, there is a great harvest that begins to spring forth. There's something that if you have ever traveled in California wine country, it's called vintage. Vintage is when the climate gets exactly right. It's when the environment and the weather and all of these things come together. And there have been harvests before. There's a harvest season that comes every year. And there has been a harvest last year and the year before. But when vintage happens... When vintage happens, venture capitalists start investing money in the wineries. When vintage happens, people start investing because they understand that when the climate gets right, there's not just going to come up a 30% harvest or a 60% harvest, but there's a 100% harvest that's going to happen. Hallelujah. And so what happens with vintage is it's not just one year. It's not just two years. But it is a series of years in which the climate has come together right. And there is a great harvest of fruit that begins to come up. I feel like telling this church today that eight years in, there have been some strongholds that have been pulled back. And you may not understand where you've been walking. And you may not understand every decision. You may not understand everything that God has been trying to do but there have been seeds that have been lying dormant for many, many years that as the strongholds have been broken there shall soon be vintage there shall soon be a harvest that will begin to rise the Lord of the harvest is coming to tell somebody today lift your hands why don't you just receive the word of the Lord in your spirit right now Mm. Mm. Let me tell you something, the devil hates when a man of God goes behind the veil. And gets a prophetic word from God. And begins to speak it and preach it to a congregation. Because no longer is his darkness pure with darkness. But now it's been pierced with light. Hallelujah. The devil hates when a man of God goes behind the veil. And says I've been face to face with Jesus. And this is what he wants to create among us. He hates the prophetic. (laughs) And when he does that he begins to get into the carnal mind. He begins to attack people in their mind, and carnal people don't believe it. But we understand that in the economy of God, whether we like it or not, when God reveals it, it's already done. It's already done. Because God is eternal. He doesn't just work in time and space and circumstance like we do. And so when something is prophesied, he doesn't see past, present, and future. The Bible says that that, that he is eternal. That means that when something is prophesied, the way God sees something, Brother McCall, is in one snapshot still vision. And so God's not looking at it as if it's going to happen. But he's telling you what has already been ordained by the divine counsel of his will. And so what I've got to do is I've got to get my spirit right. I've got to get my mind right so that I can see the kingdom of God, so that I can see the harvest that God has ordained. That's why your tomorrows don't surprise God. He's been there already. When God speaks to a church about something, he's standing over there speaking from the completion of the finished product. And he's saying this is the potential. If you'll obey, if you will walk according to my word, if the steps of this good man will be ordered by the Lord, and as I speak, he speaks, then I want to tell you something. It's not going to happen, but it's already been done. It's already been God-ordained. He's standing there telling you from the finished product he's painting to you when something is prophesied to you like has been prophesied in this house today he's painting to you a word picture that this is what I have already ordained for you we hear prophecies and we hear visions and the old carnal reasonings kicks in the problem is that while we're debating it in our minds the whole spirit world is studying the prophecy. The whole spirit world is moving towards it. Time is moving towards it. Well, we stand still and we pull back and we try to make it make sense. but by, And by the time that we get there, there's already between us and the open door of prophecy many adversaries. Adversaries beat us there while we're wrestling With our carnal mind. (sighs) But there is a door. And it is an effectual door. And at that door there is energy. For that which was prophesied. For many years in this city and in this church. To come to fulfillment. But there are also adversaries. And while we reason and we debate as to what God is trying to do. The dark side of the spirit world is camped out between us and that door. The demons in this city are students of the prophecies that God has sent to this church. And So I ask this church today, when's the last time that you got the tenacity of a demonic demon from hell, got the tenacity of an angel from heaven, and said, I'm going to seek out the prophecy. I'm going to be a student of what God is doing. I'm going to quit praying that God will bless what I'm doing. But I'm going to start studying and find what God is blessing and I'm going to get there in the Spirit, and I'm going to see prophetic fulfillment in my life. We debate, we reason, we push, and God's saying it's done if you can just override your carnal mind and your will. This is why Joshua 3.15 states that Jordan overflowed its banks at the time of harvest. Israel, upon leaving Egypt, had to cross two bodies of water first body that Israel had to cross was the Red Sea. We know that that is a type of baptism. I want to stop here and I want to say today that you can be filled with the Spirit but still be in Egypt. Because the Bible says that the cloud overshadowed them at a place called Sakoth. And Sakoth was before the crossing of the Red Sea. That means that you can be filled with the Spirit but not yet be across and have your sins forgiven. You can be filled with the Spirit and not yet have them washed away, I should say. Let me correct that. Not yet have them washed away in the waters of baptism. But the Bible lets us know that they, the Red Sea parted and they went through and that Pharaoh and his armies were swallowed the enemy doesn't care if you speak in tongues until you get an accent as long as you don't go through the water in the name of Jesus but I want to tell you that when you go through the water in the name of Jesus then Egypt has no more hope for you Egypt has no more hands on you you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus The second was the Jordan River. Before they could cross into the promised land, they had to cross the Red Sea, a type of baptism. But they also had to cross the Jordan River, and that was a type of their self-will. This is why it says in harvest season, the waters of the Jordan always overflowed its banks. In harvest season, the self-will always rises up. There's a, there's a war that rages inside of us between righteousness and iniquity. Righteousness says, I'm going to do it God's way. Iniquity says, I'm going to do it my own way. It's that self-will that rises up. And it rises up when the enemy, the adversaries, the demonic forces of hell that have been dispatched to seek out the door, get between you and that door, and they begin to attack your mind. And now you're having a hard time dealing. And now you're struggling living for God. And now distractions are setting in. And the adversaries of life are rising up against your spirit. Because the enemy knows what will happen if you get to that door. And the enemy understands that revival comes in seasons. To everything there is a season. A time and a purpose for everything under the sun. The Bible says, while the earth remains, seasons will not cease. Day and night, summer, winter, seed time and harvest. Harvest comes in a season. And so in harvest time, the enemy places obstacles in front of you and will try to pull from you the power of your self-will. In harvest time, he, he understands if I can just distract them for the rest of the season, then I don't have to mess with them any longer until next time the season comes. The enemy doesn't care how much we preach revival if we're not in harvest season. He doesn't care if you're early. He doesn't care if you're late. He only cares if you're on time and due season. And you can usually discern the time by the adversity. It's like Chuck Yeager trying to break through the sound barrier. He's trying to get up to those mock speeds. And as he was about to break through... He said that he was about to pass out physically. He was experiencing weakness. The plane began to rattle. And he was wondering if it was really going to happen. Is the, is the vehicle that I'm riding on really built to press and break through this? But when he pressed and broke through, then his health came back into regulation. And his breathing became normal. And there was peace and there was a flow. But you know what? There was a NASA scientist in our church that said that happens every single time you get to another speed. It happens at Mach 1. It happens at Mach 2. It happens at Mach 3. It happens every time that you hit that Mach speed. You know what that tells me? That at every single level and dimension that God is trying to press a church into, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be rattling. There's going to be shaking. But if you're willing to say, through prayer and the leading of the Spirit, I'm going to get past the adversary, and I'm going through that door, I declare to you that it is an effectual door. Hallelujah. If I'm headed toward that door in a certain season, every single thing in the world starts going wrong. Gideon said at the time of harvest, Midianites came six years in a row. Midianites. That's an old fighting spirit. Go look up the, name, up the Midianites. Midianites. So every time the harvest season came, there was conflict and there was fighting and there was this and there was that because the enemy understands that harvest is only for a season. And if I can have, their, if I, if I can have them carrying swords instead of pruning hooks, then I have won the battle. But if you will beat your sword into a pruning hook and say, I'm not going to allow the enemy to distract me in my time of harvest, then I want you to know that what God has prophesied, Will come to pass. Is this making sense to anybody today? Because in my brain, I'm not thinking about the open door. I'm thinking about the adversaries. I'm not thinking about... You know, I've lived long enough. I, I, I used to be younger, Brother McCall. I've lived just long enough to know that when a word of prophecy comes that I don't get as excited about it as I used to. Because I understand that with the prophetic, with the open door, comes the adversaries. And after you've been through seasons of prophetic fulfillment and warfare in the Spirit, you understand the cost of revival. I came here this morning, I believe in the timing of the Holy Ghost, to tell this church that the Lord has showed me before you an effectual and an open door. And as it were, the outline of the door is surrounded by fire. And it was from that local church in Ephesus that all of Asia heard the word of God. And What Paul saw was the true definition of apostolic revival. He recognized that from any local church and congregation, that that church can have such an impacting revival that an entire world and an entire continent can hear the Word of God. I'm not talking about the Ephesian church or the church down the road. I'm talking about this church. Do you believe that this morning? Let me tell you the difference between a Book of Acts church and the North American church. The Book of Acts church was a giving and sending church. The North American church has too much become a holding and containing church. The majority of North American Pentecostal churches are more interested in their crowd and their friends in the church than they are in reaching the world. But God is raising this church up to be a giving and sending church. God has given you a pastor that leads with an open hand. He has given you a pastor that is willing to release anything and everything that God has placed in his possession. So the question is, are you willing to fight your way to that door? If you're willing to get to the door, there's energy at the door. It is an effectual There is supernatural help at the door to take care of anything and everything, including provision, at that door. Brother McCall, when I saw the door, I saw that there was a specific way that God was going to energize and it was going to be in the area of your time. I want to tell you that God, if you will press that door that the strains and the pressures in the area of time that you have perhaps felt for 8 years are not going to be the same once you make your way through that door through that door on the other side of that door is a giving and sending church that walks in the supernatural It is a church where the gifts of the Spirit are not simply an event, but they are a flow that you live in. Why don't you just lift your hands and begin to pray to God right now. Just begin to pray as the Lord leads you. Begin to pray in the Holy Ghost as God leads you right now. Lift up your voice. All across this congregation, when you begin to pray in the Spirit, it is a flow that is coming in and out of your life. There are things that will be brought into your Spirit and there will things that will be released from your Spirit as you begin to pray through the leading of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I say to this church, because of your willingness to train and to raise up and to release, there shall be new seed that shall spring forth. I see before you an open and an effectual door door there is provision beyond that door there is talent at that door (laughs) hallelujah there is finances at the door pastor i see for you that there is more time and energy at that door i see this being the most prominent church in lake city a powerful teaching and apostolic training center beyond that door door God will transport people in these doors. And as you release people out of these doors, it will be the purpose of God. As there is apostolic training that is inside of you. There are books that are inside of you. But what I see is as they've been trying to press out, they're coming up against the flesh. But it's not the flesh. It's the timing. And it is the purpose of God. And I declare that past that door, there is a new anointing. That That will come upon this pastor. Past that door, there is a new anointing that will come upon this church. There is an apostolic anointing. Those dreams, those visions that you have seen in this city, that you have seen in this church, elder, I say to you that in your lifetime, you will see seeds of fulfillment begin to spring up. You will see it. I wonder if there's somebody that'll lift your hands and say, I want to join my pastor as we walk through that door. I want to join. I want to join the purpose of God as we walk through that door. I see seeds. I see word that has been preached, especially by you two, brothers, pastor and bishop. I see word that has been preached that has escaped outside of the four walls of this church. And I see the seed that is springing up will not only take place inside this church, but you will see seed that springs up outside of this church in the form of ministry that has been sent out and in the form of ministry that will be sent out. You have already shown an openness to share the words that God has given you and your words are touching the world. That is a seed that has escaped the four walls and God is blessing it. There is a breaking time, but beyond the blessing the breaking. There is multiplication that will come. The breaking. Elder, the breaking feels like division. And we know that God's not the author of confusion, but it's not confusion and it's not division. It's the breaking. It's the breaking process of God. It was in Gethsemane. The name means olive press. It was when there was the breaking of the flesh of those olives. It was broken. The flesh of those olives was broken just enough that it would break the flesh, but it would not break the core of that olive. Because the person running that olive press understood that I have to break the flesh of the olive to get the oil out. But if I break the core, there Will be bitterness in the oil. I want to tell somebody that has felt the breaking. It's just the breaking of your flesh, but God will not crush your spirit. For a, a bruised reed will He not break. There will be no bitterness that sets in. God may break, but it is for the purpose of future multiplication. Sandorobosi hiata. It would seem that the Holy Ghost this morning would want to release an Aaron and her anointing in this house this morning. Aaron was the right hand man and her was the one that supported the arms of Moses on the left. Aaron represents those that have a calling and have a core and have a direction of ministry upon your life. That you will rise up as your pastor's right hand. The men that he uses. And her represents a congregation that will on the other side hold up the hands of the man of God. I say to this church that as you come up against adversaries, if Aaron and her continue in their position, that there is no adversary that can stop this pastor, that can stop this church. An open door, an open door, Pastor McCall, would you would you feel do you feel okay just to join me for just a moment? I would like the young men that Pastor McCall has invested in ministry. Men who have a calling upon your life, I would like you to come and stand on the right side of Pastor McCall this morning. Amen. Ministry team, come quickly if you would.